The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Neuromatters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to our program on Alzheimer's disease and the dementias. We have an interesting program tonight, and the topic is on the profession of occupational therapy. You know, a study, uh, a Dutch study was published earlier this year that looked at whether occupational therapy is an effective treatment for individuals who are older and who have memory disorders. And it was interesting. They had 135 patients and they followed them and re-evaluated at six weeks and then at three months. Um, and they provided 10 home-based training sessions on different types of tasks around the house. These were individuals who were rated as having mild to moderate dementia. 75% of these individuals had an improvement in motor skills. 82% needed less day-to-day assistance than they needed before the program was implemented. Uh, caretakers felt much more competent in the things that they were doing. So clearly on the basis of this study, occupational therapy is a professional area that can be very helpful to individuals with dementia, certainly those that are living in the community, as was the case with this particular study. So to pursue this topic with us, we have Dr. Hope Martin. Dr. Martin is Associate Professor, Director, and Chair of the Department of Occupational Therapy at Abilene Christian University. She completed her Bachelor of Science degree in Occupational Therapy at Texas Tech University, then completed her Master's degree at New York University in New York City. She then completed her Ph.D. at Texas Women's University in Denton, Texas. She is, as I said, the uh, director of a new occupational therapy program at Abilene Christian University, and uh, she is also a member of the Texas Educational Council of Physical and Occupational Therapy. She has had numerous honors and awards over these years and has published primarily in the area of hand therapy. Hope. Welcome to our program. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. To start out, tell me about what occupational therapy is as a professional area. Okay. Oftentimes it's confusing to people because of the word occupation in the front. And so I think it's important to define occupation broadly. Um, historically, occupation um, encompasses any activity that a person does during their day to achieve. So not necessarily the job that they do, but any meaningful activity. Yes, any meaningful activity um, from as simple as getting out of bed in the morning to cooking breakfast, any, uh, any form of activity that occupies their day 
is um, the primary area where occupational therapists intervene. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. Uh, what brought you into the world of occupational therapy? Um, honestly, I wanted to be in the health professions, and um, my father's um, close friend was a hand surgeon, and he wrote Green's Operative Hand, which is a world-renowned um, text on hand surgery and therapy. And I grew up at his home watching what he did, and it, I was fascinated. And, and that's why I chose to pursue the field. And, of course, hand therapy is a highly specialized area of occupational therapy. And you actually have authored or co-authored a chapter in a book on occupational therapy, that chapter being about some aspects of hand therapy, right? Yes. It was the fundamentals of hand therapy, and the chapter um, looked at repetitive disorders and tendonitis in the hand and the entire upper extremity. And what would a repetitive disorder be? A repetitive disorder uh, usually accompanies something such as um, a a task that you would do every day, let's say gripping the steering wheel. And some people tend to grip more tightly than others. And over time, if that if that activity is done too often, it can cause nerve pain, um, tendon damage, muscle fatigue. And so certainly in, if you're a professional driver, you're gripping that steering wheel all the time. Right. Interesting. So repetitive injuries to the to the hands and wrist, right? Mm-hmm. And you've worked a lot in that area. Has that been rewarding to you? Yes. It's, it's a fascinating area to be in. You can be a hand therapist as a physical or occupational therapist. And after you get out of school, for, you have to be out five years and spend 4,000 hours under a hand surgeon to sit for that exam. 4,000 hours. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so occupational therapy generally, um, what types of patients do OTs see? We see across the lifespan. So we might see an infant who is born with a developmental delay and needs intervention or the caregivers need intervention all the way to someone who's aging who might need help with everyday tasks that they didn't need help with before. And so that would include people that have had strokes? Yes. And head injuries? Stroke, head injury, fractures, um, multiple trauma from a car wreck, um, Alzheimer's, of course, um, developmental disabilities, autism, cerebral palsy, any of the any any um, injury or disease that affects daily activity. Where do OTs primarily work? In a hospital? In an outpatient setting? In my opinion, that's the beauty of the profession. We work in many areas. We might work in a, we work in acute care. We work in inpatient rehab. We work in the schools. We work in communities. Um, AOTA, our national organization, is a big push for working with the homeless on organizing okay. daily tasks. We work um, with physicians in hand therapy clinics. We work in home health. So there's a variety of areas that we so go you, to. So you fit in a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so as we look at the different types of things that an occupational therapist might do, I listed some things out here that I would like to just bounce off you and get your reaction sure. to. Health promotion. Health promotion is, is actually new to the profession in the last 10, 15 years because I think we see that if we're proactive in many areas, we prevent a lot of disability and disease, or at least delay the onset. So health promotion is a big um, educational tool for us as occupational therapists, for sure. Okay. Remediation? Remediation. A lot of times if someone has had a stroke or a traumatic brain injury or has lost the function of a 
a hand or a finger or even a, a leg, the remediation knows how to continue in daily life with this new injury or disability and modify either the patient, the way they do things, or the environment to accommodate function. Maintenance. Maintenance. Um, a good example for maintenance might be someone with a stroke or the loss of a limb, an amputee, or a spinal cord injury. Their life has changed completely, and we want to keep their function at an optim, optimal level. Um, level and so we would intervene by keeping what they have not losing anymore so there are some conditions in which if you don't keep up a steady regimen with it skills will be lost yes okay um, promoting relationships and social participation is that something OT does yes we um, as OTs tend to be a little different from the medical model in that social participation um, we believe brings lots of um competence and confidence to the patient and it allows um, mental health for the patient to continually engage in life activities. Okay, good. Now here you are setting up a new program Mm -hmm. at ACU. You've just admitted your first, you told me 23 students? Yes. Excellent first year and um, and so you have laid out all the things that they are going to go through to get their master's degree in what, two years? Two and a half. Two and a half years Mm -hmm. time. So how do you prepare these people just off their bachelor's degree (laughs) to work in a professional area like this? Well, I I think in the beginning, um, which is we're in our first semester, we look a lot at um, pretty much baptizing them into the field of OT Mm -hmm. and what, how an OT thinks and what that looks like. Um, One of the distinct things that we're doing at ACU, there's two distinct things that we're doing is we, this first semester have a class called social conditions where we're actually trying to look at um, service learning and what that looks like across. What does service learning mean? Service learning would be um, having our our students go to places that might seem untraditional for OT, such as a homeless shelter or a, a psychiatry clinic, and participating with those patients in whatever they're doing already set up at the clinic. And learning from that population okay. and providing um, insight and service as needed. Okay. okay. So, so this first semester, the, the continuum of, of, of looking at preparing OTs is pretty vast because we have to cover all of the lifespan and we have to cover so many diagnoses that affect people across the lifespan. Mm-hmm. Um, another place where we're a little distinct at ACU we have what's called a maker lab in some communities across the United States have these. Um, the OT schools, I am not aware of that have these yet, but it is a lab where you have everything from sewing machines to 3D printers. And you start teaching the students to think about design theory and how they could adapt things in their everyday world just for themselves so that we can translate it that later over to patient care. Very interesting because a lot of, from what you've described, a lot of what OT uh, will do has to do with making manipulations in the environment, making changes in the environment so that the patient at whatever skill level he or she brings into the place can function reasonably well, right? Yes. So are you ready for a creativity explosion in that lab? Well, I'm I'm hopeful. Um, primarily, I would like them to see the process. Um, I'm concerned about that they understand what it takes to do an activity because if they can see what it takes to do an activity for themselves, 
then they can possibly see what it would take to do an activity across the patient. So that's the difference between living in an ivory tower where you may be working with a patient who is a diesel mechanic but have absolutely no idea what that person has to do with his hands or with his brain in terms of organizing a task or finding the right tools, keeping track of tools and things like that. By having a lab like this, you're, you are getting them into the habit of actually being hands-on themselves. Mm-hmm. Am I getting that right? Yes. Um, I think a lot of times as OTs, if, if you can ask the patient to, to describe the job, actually go to the job, see what those skills are, and break it down to a very basic level, it seems very simplistic on the outside, but we're looking at so many things. We're looking at um, how the nerves are reacting, how the muscles are reacting, what's the cognitive um, consequence for this injury, what's the social consequence. And so having them do hands-on things themselves, they can integrate those things. Mm-hmm. Well, th- I think that that's an excellent idea. Uh, how, how big is that lab, by the way? I... I should know. Um, I'm gonna, <laughs> I don't need the, the, the specifications, but it, it's got to be a sizable place. Oh, it is. It's um, part of the uh, a good part of the first floor of the library at Abilene Christian. So. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. All right. Well, um, I, I think that the students will really appreciate the opportunity to do things there and especially to play with the 3D printer. (laughs) I don't know if you are aware, if our listeners are aware, there is a 3D printer that I believe is on the way to the space station right now. If I remember right, it just recently left, and it's on its way there. So they will, in their spare time, be able to play with the 3D printer. Well, and the idea behind that is if they don't have something available to them, a tool or a part that they need to even repair the shuttle that they could actually fabricate it in a plastic prototype and Mm -hmm. use it temporarily Mm -hmm. well that is a a great idea and i'm glad that your students will have access to these types of things we are going to go to a break and when we come back we will talk some more with dr hope martin who is the director and chair of the department of occupational therapy at abilene christian university and we will talk about how the uh, field of occupational therapy now uh, brings its skills and knowledge base to help people who have dementia so stay with us we will be right back your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness I put my keys. What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. 
By making some important changes in your life, you can move forward from where you are to where you wish to be. It is becoming the change you want to see. It can be a sort of experiment, if you will. On Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time, your host, Dr. Serena Wadhwa, will introduce you to ideas that can help improve your health, relationships, and finances. You probably have at least one part of your life that needs improving. Make an appointment now to join us every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. We are talking with Dr. Hope Martin, who is an occupational therapist by trade, and uh, she is associate professor, uh, director, and chair of the Department of Occupational Therapy at Abilene Christian University, a new program that has just admitted its first students. Uh, She completed her PhD at Texas Women's University in Denton, Texas, and has been recognized with numerous honors and awards over the years. And again, Dr. Hope Martin, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I mentioned the Dutch study at the beginning of the program, and basically what they did is they selected 135 people with mild to moderate dementia. They went in and basically worked with these individuals to help them to do different types of tasks the occupations as you uh, as you define them and and then evaluated uh, several things about them at uh, three at at six weeks and at three months following the intervention and found that eighty two percent needed less day to day assistance than they had previously, which is just a a very impressive statistic so Tell me about what occupational therapy actually will do for individuals with dementia. I think um, the primary thing we do is look at a patient's occupational performance, and that includes in their environment, whether that be in their home or in if they're living with a family member of that home. The environment that they participate in occupation, it could also mean um, when they go to the grocery store. So you break down all of those tasks. And a key word for ocu- that we look at in occupational therapy is activity analysis. So the activities that are important to that patient We want to see what components does it take to actually do that component, whether that be cognitive, emotional, physical, all those components. So you look at the full spectrum of abilities that would bring to bear on that activity. Exactly. And then we look at um, the deficits that the patient may or may not have and decide how can this activity be achieved with those deficits. Do we modify the environment? Do we um, give the patient uh, compensation tools or a little bit of both? An important role, especially for dementia, I will say, is educating caregivers and whoever is in the home or in the environment with the patient. A lot of times, um, and many of your listeners I'm sure will be prepared for this, the caregivers take on quite a heavy burden for this disease. It is a difficult task. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first you know, couple of stages, 
the patients are aware that they're having a disease, but after that, not necessarily so. And so that's a difficult burden for the caregiver to experience. So in light of that, the occupational therapist does work with the patient in the environment a lot, but we also consider who else is in that environment, who are supporters, what can they offer, what do they have reasonable time to offer. We look at everything across the board. A lot of patients, it's really important for them to keep up their activities of daily living independently. And that could be bathing, toileting, um, light meal preparation. A lot of people feel, a lot of our patients feel less or have a, a less confidence in their ability to um, participate in life if they can't achieve those things. Many times, that boost of confidence or adapting those for those patients is not only a relief for the caregiver, but it also empowers the patient to keep more at a maintenance level. Even though the disease is progressive and we know it will progress, as much as we can maintain that autonomy for the patient. So if a patient is able to do something independently, but with structuring, cueing, whatever, environmental modifications, that patient feels much more competent than if the person is not able to do the task at all. Sure. And one example might be if a patient is with dementia, doesn't necessarily know what appropriate season it is to pick out which clothes to wear, a, one small simple trick you that we often do is just in their closet, the caregiver only puts what's seasonally appropriate. So the patient feels like they have quite a bit of control because there's not an option that would be wrong for them to choose. Mm -hmm. So Some of it is just as simple as that. Mm -hmm. It seems so simple on the outside, but occupational therapists are often in their mind looking at so many different aspects and they come up with what seem to be simple solutions. And in that situation, it's helpful if that OT actually has gone to the patient's home and looked at um, closet A, which has a lot of things in it, too many choices and uh, and too many um, incorrect, let's say, incorrect choices, or closet B, which has a much smaller number of choices, all of which would be correct, and it's simply a matter of taste at that time or right. whatever strikes you. Right. Another um, problem with dementia, I know, is patients tend to wander or not mm -hmm. necessarily stay in the confines of the environment they need to be in. Mm -hmm. So you can set up cues for those patients. It again, it sounds really simple, but um, technology helps us because you can have an alarm on the door or you might have a stop sign at right where the mailbox meets the curb just to remind the patient not to go further. Mm -hmm. It seems simple, but there are so many hazards with and of course, the stop sign is highly familiar, right? And and highly, the response to it is highly. Sure. Practical. So even with dementia, those rudimentary things that we all um, know would be recognizable to that patient. I read an article, by the way, about a a young fellow, uh, I think about middle school age, whose grandfather had dementia, and he has developed this sock that has a sensor in it, <laughs> so that if the person gets out of bed in the middle of the night, it will. Uh, sound a tone on a cell phone in a number po another part of the house. He even developed the app for that. Wow. Know, that's a smart young man. <laughs> yes. And actually, another component we have at Abilene Christian University is a learning studio with, a, with similar technology. Um, when I was at the program director's meeting last October, where all the 
people who run programs for occupational therapy attended, somebody came up to me and said, you know, at ACU, you guys create the best apps. And I thought, wow, I need to explore that because I was right. new. And and we do have the technology to do that. So I'm hopeful that some of our students can can head that way. But apps can be useful in many ways. Um, medication reminders, um, mealtime reminders. Some patients with dementia also have other confounding problems or other diagnoses like, let's say, diabetes. So eating at the right time is important, but they may not necessarily do that left to their own mm-hmm. devices. However, if you had an app that went off and reminded them or some type of an alarm. So mm-hmm. there's lots of ways we can create environmental cues to help the patient. Let's say we have a person with dementia and this person has always been the meal preparer in the home. Um, what kinds of things could you suggest that would enable that person to continue to fill that role mm-hmm. with whatever cueing and structure and modifications might be available. I'm glad you bring that up because occupational therapists look at roles often. Mm -hmm. We think the roles that the person plays in their life are very important and bring all kinds of factors. And so if, if if the patient has always prepared the meals, that would be our primary goal going into the home. How can we help them continue to do that? And if they can't prepare the whole meal, can they at least prepare part or twice a week? So Mm As an OT going in, first of all, we would look at, it sounds simple again, but putting everything that they need at eye level. We know that dementia patients sometimes reaching overhead or bending down can have other um, confounding problems that would make them fall easily. Mm -hmm. So if we put everything at eye level that they need to make the meal preparation, whether that be the food, the utensils, that would be one way. The other way... um, if they have recipes that they've cooked their whole life, some of that material might go away because of the dementia. So we might put something as simple as a whiteboard where the caregiver could actually put what would be prepared for that day and include maybe a basic recipe just to cue the Mm -hmm. person who's made that recipe for 30 years to remember. We would also want to look at safety issues. So if they're going to be cooking, we would have to look at a gas stove versus regular stove and obviously have cues to prevent burns or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you know, safety issues in the kitchen are so important mm-hmm. in, in this area. Okay, so several good ideas. And I would not have thought of putting all the necessary utensils and ingredients at eye level. But when I think about that, besides the reaching and the postural changes and the potential, um, uh, the increased risk for falls, also visual search at eye level would be so much easier than visual search above or below eye level. So, right. So as the visual search um, decreases for the patient with dementia, which we know mm-hmm. can happen, they're not necessarily having to compensate and think about what to prepare and watch the heat from the stove. So you want to minimize as many things that they have mm-hmm. to be so alerted too about. Many, mm-hmm. Too many things to keep in mind at the same time. And of course, the recipes you choose would probably be relevant here. There are some things that uh, my wife is an amazingly good cook. And there are so, the things that she creates in the kitchen just blow my mind. Um, and some of them are very complicated and very time-consuming and have many steps. And others have a smaller number of steps, smaller number of ingredients and things like that to preserve the role. Yes. You know, to preserve the success in that role, yes. you go to the simpler recipes, smaller steps, Exactly. 
And if the patient really insisted on making that fabulous lasagna that they've made for 20 years, you might invite the caregiver to participate with them during that one time so that you have the, the patient can still hold the role, still make that, but they have someone to help. Mm-hmm. And the emphasis, again, is to be successful in that role, whatever yes. that role may be. Exactly. And, uh, and it's easy to use the example in the kitchen because it's a confined uh, a limited space with a, a great deal of complexity and it is an area that is very important both from the standpoint of the persons remaining in that role but also from the standpoint of seeing that nutrition is adequate yes you know there are so many times when um, when a patient has come to my attention and the the great problem that they are addressing has uh, has grown so big because of lack of nutritional adequacy you it's know it's very common not only with dementia patients but even in the elderly in general mm-hmm. we know that with aging taste buds diminish and those sensations and so for the dementia patient it becomes even more complicated mm-hmm. because you're looking and it's at- interesting that you mentioned that because we just recently did a program on the senses of smell and taste oh, and nice. the impact of that well we are going to go to a break and we will be back with dr hope martin in just a couple of minutes so please stay with us Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. 
Thank you for being with us this afternoon, and uh, thank you for staying with us through the commercial break. We are talking with Dr. Hope Martin, who is the uh, uh, director and chair of the Department of Occupational Therapy at Abilene Christian University, and we are talking about the world of occupational therapy, that profession to which uh, Hope has committed uh, so much of her time and so much of her educational background, and we've been talking about how occupational therapy can help a dementia patient and the caregiver of that patient as they live in their home. That's the setting that we've been talking about. We had talked about meal preparation. What about laundry hope? What would you say about a task like that other than that it's not fun? (laughs) (laughs) Well, laundry, similar in in some ways to cooking, is also a, a little bit tricky because of the the stooping that's involved to get things in and out of the dryer, the lifting that's involved. So there's a few things we would look at right off the bat. Who sorts the laundry and how does the patient know uh, which which clothes to wash in, with which colors? Some people will, re- will retain those skills and some won't. So we might suggest something as simple as coated laundry baskets. So four different color laundry baskets. Coated laundry baskets. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And then... To address, to address the stooping, even though um, not um, specific to dementia itself, with aging, falls are such a huge imbalance are across the board a problem for everyone. So we would look at what um, type of modification or handle we might put on the door next to the dryer so they could actually hold the handle while they bent down. Seems simple, but then again, um, it's just a safety factor. The other thing I would Now, I suppose, Hope, this is just a guy thing, but my first thought was to to put some four-by-fours under the dryer or under the washer and lift it up higher. And that would actually be a a very good solution. I think one of the problems we run into working with people in their homes is access to people who can do things like that for them. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if if, um, a daughter is taking care of a mother and there's not necessarily someone, not that to stereotype women, but if there's not anyone necessarily to make the dryer higher, because that makes perfect sense to me Mm -hmm. as well, we would have to look at another option maybe. But yes, lifting the dryer is a great solution. Um, Another thing we might think about is a timer for when the laundry is finished to transfer Mm -hmm. it from one place to the other. Okay. Then you have the issue of after the laundry is done, folding it and putting it away. I can't help but notice how you do task analysis as we go through this. <laughs> well, good, because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> so um, folding it and putting it away, how many rooms does a person have to access? Are, are there things in the way to get to that room? Those types of things. So one modification I would suggest right away, I've done this with a few patients, is they fold everything on the dining room table and leave it there. It it um, helps with two purposes. First, they're at waist-tight folding, so it's more comfortable for the, the patient to stand and do that, or they can sit and do it. And the other thing is, it's all laid out right there in front, and someone else can put it away. And the reason I say that is a lot of times hallways or dressers are not necessarily easily accessible, and you certainly wouldn't want someone to fall when they're home alone or whatever. You've mentioned falling several times. <laughs> falling from the Medicare standpoint is a very expensive problem. It is. You know, it, uh, 
costs falls result in millions of dollars in expenditures every year mm-hmm. with older individuals. And of course, for the individual, a person may have mild dementia and be functioning fairly well, but to go into the hospital following a hip fracture, undergoing the surgery, the medications involved, the anesthetic regimen involved, um, and then the rehab following that, you have the complications associated with that. And um, uh, it, it can just result in such a significant cognitive decline that the person doesn't get back to the baseline level. So prevention of falls, I've noticed your attentiveness to that issue, and it is critically important for these things. Right. There's a couple things that you mentioned, but there's also a couple of things from an OT standpoint. The baseline may never be achieved again because the disorientation of being in the hospital or in the drugs required for anesthesia that alter the mental status. Sometimes Mm -hmm. patients do not come back. To the, right. to the baseline. The other thing is we know that the hip fracture itself is generally not the main problem, even though that's traumatic in and of itself, but lying in bed, which could lead to pneumonia. So the hip fracture in the fall is actually sometimes the least the um, least of the whole the issue. The least of the whole issue. Although occasionally there will be the blow to the head with that, either yes. from striking the head or mm-hmm. the acceleration, deceleration involved in it. So right. Um, as as you, our wonderful listeners, listen to these things that Hope is saying, um, uh, take heed especially to the issue of fall prevention. Mm-hmm. Yes. And while I'm on fall prevention, I have to say the number one reason people fall in their homes are throw rugs. Throw rugs. Um, we think of them as being um, safe because you're not on a slick floor, and so we'll put a throw in, especially, but patients who do as we age we don't lift our feet as high when we walk with the, our mm-hmm. gait and so we stumble on those so and i think we would include pets as well well yes <laughs> that's true not our pets but other people's pets <laughs> <laughs> and we but the the benefit of the pet we know is very important to dementia patients as well but. so we've talked about meal preparation and nutrition and seeing to nutritional needs and we've talked about laundry um what about uh, the kinds of maintenance things that need to be done around the house, changing the heating and air conditioning filters, for example, doing um, simple tasks like that, outdoor tasks, maintaining the lawn, etc. How do you, uh, how would an occupational therapist approach those kinds of tasks? The first thing I would do is find out um, what the person is engaging in right now then what is important to them, which includes their role. So if it is important to them, let's say, to do the flower bed every spring or to mow the lawn, if those things are very important to them and they they get value and worth from that, then we definitely want to see how we can maintain that. But then we would take all those other tasks that aren't necessarily part of their role and part of their identity in their mindset away and try to have have some way to have someone come over and do those on a regular basis or a caregiver. And the reason is you you definitely want to keep people in their role, but you also want to minimize the complexity of the things they have to do. Mm-hmm. And it's empowering for them because if, if they've mowed the yard for 25 years and do it a certain way and they find f- fulfillment from that, it's much more important to maintain that role than to look at maybe 10 other roles that they do because they're necessary, but not necessarily part of their identity. Mm-hmm. 
And of course, we continue to recognize that that they will come when operating power equipment, operating a, a riding lawnmower or a push type lawnmower that 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 may be beyond that individual's ability. Yes. But as long as the the safety can be assured and the compensations can be built in, you would like the person to continue in that role. Yes, and there are also a few things you can do. Let's say they do have to hire someone to mow the yard. The caregiver can communicate with the person that they're hiring that this person in their family with dementia has done this for 25 years. So every time the person hired to come do the lawn comes over, maybe there could be a 10-minute session before he begins mowing the lawn where the person with dementia says, well, this is the way we've done, I've done it for mm -hmm. this many years and I'd like it to be done this way. And having that conversation with um, the person that you've hired is really important because it still um, instills confidence in the patient. And, and it's about empowerment as mm -hmm. well. Now, a person likes to feel productive at the yes. end of the day, most days, not on Saturdays, but other days. Um, how do you, how do you help a person to go, a person with dementia to go through the day and have a sense at the end of the day that they've done something useful and productive? The first thing we do is identify something that's important to them outside of maybe um, roles that are daily living, such as bathing and cooking. <laughs> something that they've done all their life, whether it be a hobby, some component of their work, we try to find a way to fit that into every day. So it could be as simple as you as you know, as a doctor working with patients, let's say something that's really important to you is keeping on top of some the literature that's out. Mm -hmm. So we may have a subscription of your favorite journal come that you can flip through or, you know, structuring the day where there's one important task that's meaningful to them every day. The other way we would, we would do that is actually write out the tasks and what time they would be done if a person can't remember. So at the end of the day, they got the most important thing for their day into their day rather than um, spending the whole time compensating and trying to get just normal things done like bathing mm -hmm. and cooking. And and we'll go into in a little bit bathing and grooming and, and toileting because these are, are uh, frequent um, uh, activities. They're dangerous activities in many ways. You know, falls are very common in bathrooms, as you know, slippery, hard surfaces. And, uh, and so we'll talk about those things in a little bit. Um, but uh, in, in about two minutes' time before our next break, what can you tell our listeners about how to do task analysis? How can they look at a global job and say, okay, it involves this component, this component, this component? How, how, how can you teach them to do that? Well, I, I think the way that I'm teaching my students. So they're in the maker lab, and, and over the last three weeks, they've had to learn how to make a life. A knife, I'm sorry. And so in making that knife, um, we use what's called empathy. So what is what is component to doing a task? And I would encourage a caregiver, let's say it's doing laundry. Take a piece of paper with you and write down what does it entail to actually do laundry? Because we normally just do it and we don't think about it. Mm -hmm. So pulling wet clothes out of the washing machine is actually a little strenuous if they're heavy clothes, mm -hmm. those types of things, making mental notes. And then you look at your the patient that's living with you or the client and you say, okay, so if it took, it took a little bit of um, 
hard labor to do this one task. For them, that would even maybe times 10. Mm -hmm. So activity analysis, um, you also have to consider how do you feel when you're doing the task? Because we've talked so much about empowerment. If the task brings you joy, then you can understand and very much appreciate what it's like to maintain independence for yourself and see how that would be important to your patient or client. Okay, good. Well, thank you for that. Uh, We are going to go to a break, and when we return to our final segment, uh, we will have some more wisdom and insight from Dr. Hope Martin, and we will talk about this difficult area of bathing, grooming, toileting, and that type of thing. So stay with us, and we will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Uh, welcome back to our program coming to you from voiceamerica.com and we are visiting with Dr. Hope Martin, the director and chair of the Department of Occupational Therapy at Abilene Christian University and we're talking about the role of OT in providing services for individuals with dementia of various types. Before our break, Hope, we talked just briefly about bathing, grooming, toileting, the hygiene issues, and these are challenging issues for a number of reasons. One is their frequent activities. Number two is they're very personal and very private kinds of activities normally. And number three, they tend to take place 
in um, in the bathroom where there are slippery and hard surfaces, which puts the person at greater risk for injury. So educate our listeners about this. Okay. Well, I think the first thing that OTs look at always is either the shower or the bathtub. One of the first things we ask is, is it a standalone shower? And if so, is there a, a rise or a, a step to get in? Or is it a tub shower combo? And the reason we ask those right off the bat is that will determine how we help the patient be safe. So there are a number of modalities we might choose or adaptive devices, such as if the patient has a, a shower tub combo, there's an extended tub bench that actually comes over the tub. So the patient can sit on the bench and then put their feet in. So they're not stepping over and that eliminates a huge risk. One one high risk component of the whole task. And one of the safest things to do that's very simple for anyone to do is to replace the shower head with a handheld, whether the person is in the shower or in a bench situation of a tub. Because if the patient is sitting either in the shower or on a bench in the tub and using the handheld device, their risk is minimized quite a bit. Because one of the things we can look at is if they if they like to use hot water, we know that hot water makes you feel a little bit weak if you're mm-hmm. not feeling very well. And so if you're standing and not taking that taking that in, you may not realize as that you're starting to feel less. So that was the first place that we would look. And then the second place we would always look, of course, is the toilet because you're need to access it several times a day. And there are many easy solutions such as not necessarily um, buying a high toilet, but they make um, seats that can elevate the toilet. Um, And those are carried even at Walmart in the pharmacy section. So you can elevate it by eight inches and the person doesn't have to get down so low and, and up again. Okay. So those are things I would look at right off the bat. Okay. And and what other things? What what about, um, for example, grooming? You know, um, should a man use a safety razor? Should he use electric? You know, what, what recommendations do you have? Well, I think it depends on the motor function of the patient. Because with dementia, if it's a routine task they've done for many years, they're likely to be safe doing it still if they don't have any deficits in their hand or motor function. Or balance. So if the only deficit is is cognitive, a lot of times they are going to go ahead and be safe. I know that sounds crazy, but if they've always used a regular razor, they're probably going to be okay. Um, so the OT would immediate look, immediately look at, are they okay to stand for that 10 minutes? Or do they fatigue easily, number one? Number two, do they have the motor control or the hand function to perform the task? For example, if someone has Parkinson's or Lewy body disorder or something like that, there may be a tremor tremor associated with it. And so then we would immediately move to a safer option. Okay. Mm -hmm. But if the the motor component is fine for the patient, it's such a repetitive task that generally they're okay. Generally, that's pretty well preserved. Mm -hmm. What about reminders to bathe, reminders to do the other grooming things? Right. We know just in general with the aging population, um, bathing becomes something more difficult and often ignored. There are a couple ways to handle it. it. Number one, 
to encourage maybe three times a week instead of every day so that the patient still is is bathing on a regular basis, but they don't have to face that task every day. There's two reasons for that. Number one, they don't feel so overwhelmed, but number two, it can be physically exhausting if their reserve isn't, their physical reserve or stamina is lessened in any way. And that may be a very scary task for them as well, even though you have the tub bench or that mm -hmm. extended um, bench, you know, that will keep them safe. It can be a scary task mm -hmm. to uh, uh, get into and out of a bath tub shower combination type setup um, that you know the there is a resistance that develops in some patients a resistance to uh, so many of these activities bathing grooming mm -hmm. um, hygiene type issues uh, how how do you address those things you know do you consider it to be a fear thing do you is it a control thing is that is water more irritating water running over the body more irritating for some mm -hmm. patients I think that's where the OT comes in and looks at the activity on a microscopic level because it could be a number of things. It could be that the water does feel almost painful to a patient. We know some conditions can cause that. It could be that they can't do it themselves and they know it and they don't want anyone else to do mm -hmm. that. And because so you, it is so personal. You have to find a bridge there. And one way we, we find that bridge is we ask the caregiver to maybe stand outside for the entire task. So someone is available, but they still, they're still respected their privacy. I think... Um, I think also fatigue plays a big role. I think it's fatiguing for patients to continue that and it can't and that's I, a consideration in terms of whether they should bathe in the morning or at the end of yes. the day even though they may have preferred evening bathing or shower or whatever it, it would be safer to do it in the morning right possibly um but there again if they've done it that way their whole life we may consider um them still being able to bathe in the evening, but possibly when a caregiver is available mm -hmm. to be to be close by should they need help. So that would kind of minimize their risk a little bit. Another thing you mentioned is control, and oftentimes with dementia patients, cognitive functions and control is a big issue because they've lost so much independence. And of course, in the beginning stages, they are aware, and as it progresses, maybe not so much aware, but that control issue for independence is almost innate in every human being. <laughs> and so, one way as OTs, we, and of course, it, this doesn't apply to all the entire population, but one way we as OTs try to give control to the patient is by asking them what is most important to you and what would you prefer? So if they do prefer the evening shower, it may be worth the risk to let them have the evening shower, but under a certain condition that these safety measures mm -hmm. are in place. And I think a lot of times the control is unintentional. Mm -hmm. I do think that the patient is um, unconsciously or subconsciously trying to maintain their dignity and those types of things and not even aware that they're causing that. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, there's one other question I yes. wanted to ask you just very briefly because we don't have much time educating the caregiver. That's a big part of what an OT does. I think that's probably 50% of what OTs would do in a dementia situation or an Alzheimer's situation because it's empowering for the caregiver, but also it 
allows the caregiver some control and they can relax. If they know what is causing their loved one to feel this way or to act this way, just knowing, just educating the caregiver um, produces a type of acceptance that this is going to be their lifestyle. Okay, good. Well, Hope, I uh, am again so grateful to you for being on the program, and I know that you have provided a lot of information that will be helpful to so many people. You, There are um, so many different things to talk about, and it always has to be tailored to the individual patient because not every patient has every complication, right. you know. but. Uh, again, I'm very grateful to you, and I hope that our listeners have appreciated you taking the time. Good luck with the program at ACU, and hopefully we will have you back on the program again at some point in the future. Thank so, you so much. I thank appreciate you. that. Thank you for listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.